our friend Robert was picking these songs. He picked this, this old song, uh, All Creatures of Our God and King. And he didn't know the message that we were about to go into, but it, it relates to this so well that God is in control and reigning over all things. And um, I want to encourage you today to push into what God would have for you today. Push in what God would have um, in your heart, in your life, in your family's life. And this last um, Tuesday night, I had gone on a, a walk with my, with my two dogs. I was trying to remember at the 9 a.m. if it was one dog or two dogs, but it, it doesn't really matter. There were dogs. And it was before snowpocalypse came and the, the temperatures were getting pretty chilly. And as I was walking, not, not thinking about anything related to what we're doing here today, the Lord put on my heart um, a specific thing. And that was um, to bring before the congregation today, um, just the, the invitation, the urge to pray for those who are bound, who struggle, who feel like they might be trapped in addiction. It has nothing to do with the message we're going to look at. Um, it has nothing to do with anything else we're doing today, except for we're here to seek freedom in Christ. And you might say, well, pastor, I'm not, I'm not a drug addict. I'm not an alcoholic. And you might not be, but you might be addicted to pornography. Um, you might be addicted to things that aren't even sinful, uh, you know, things like, like gaming or, or food, but things that maybe that have taken all of your time. I know many of us get addicted even to ourselves, to our, to our own ego or our own insecurities, and we feed those things again and again and again. And the Lord said, pray for people today to find freedom from those things. And this morning, as, as we gathered at 9 a.m. and we were praying about those things, God began to put um, different marriages on my heart, like specific people that God wanted to speak to, specific people that God wanted to mend and to heal marriages and to bring restoration. And so we're going to um, do a lot of things today, but nothing really matters unless you've encountered God today and throughout this week. Um, so we could go you know, through motions of how to do church and all those things, but it would be a waste of our time. Um, I didn't come here today to participate in a religious service. I came today to encounter a living God and to do it with God's people. And so I'd encourage you today, when, when we wrap up our message today, I'm not going to have you come up for a prayer today, but we're going to have a, a, just a special time of prayer uh, as we worship and as we sing following today's sermon, just focusing in on those who need freedom. And the reason I wanted to preface it so strongly when we started is because um, God's speaking specifically to probably many of you. Maybe you're watching online, he's speaking to you, and he said, pray for people who are locked, stuck in addiction. And, and I want to make the invitation very clear that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And that as we invite you later on to pray for, it could be anything, it doesn't have to be addiction. But don't leave this place today without being prayed for for that because God is giving you a literal invitation now. <clears throat> and if you're thinking to your mind, well, it's not quite an addiction, it is. It is. Because if that's, that's what we do, right? That's what I do is I like to uh, justify my sin. I like to justify things that, that we do. But the Lord's giving an invitation to find freedom from those particular things and to find freedom for marriages who may feel stuck or are not moving forward. The Lord is present to hear, to heal, uh, to do a work in your life. So don't miss out on this. It doesn't matter if you're 18 or 80. It doesn't matter. 
seek what the Lord has for you today. Uh, before we go into our sermon, um, I want to uh, invite up two families today. We do um, things here at Free Church and all churches. We do things like um, weddings and baptisms. Uh, we do um, d- different things like that, things that we would call kind of sacraments that take place within the church. But we also do um, funerals. We're there for people when they're in need. We help people when they're in need. And one thing that we do that is a, a, a celebration beyond just marriage or baptism is also baby dedication. As um, Protestant Christians, we don't baptize uh, babies. We don't think we need to baptize babies, though we, we wouldn't judge Catholics for doing so. We believe baptism, a decision that someone would make once they have decided in their heart to put faith in Jesus Christ. Um, but there is something special about dedication. It's a way for the mother and the father of the baby to offer their child up to the Lord um, and to say, God, your will be done in their lives, not our own will be done in their lives. Um, the Bible tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that God knit us together in our mother's wombs. The Bible tells us that we are to raise up children in the ways they should go so that when they are old, they won't depart from it. And so even as moms and dads, it's not our jobs to raise our kids in the way we think they should go, but it's our jobs to raise up our kids in the way they should go and believe that God would entrust a vision and a plan for their life directly to them and use us to be an impartation over them for that. This is also a way, too, as a church body, when we, when we dedicate children, um, there are people within our church that are a part of our church family that have babies. And how many of you know babies are a lot of work, like a lot of work? And so it's a way for us to come alongside of people and say, hey, we're, we're here to help. If you need help, uh, we're here to help. If you need somebody um, to have your baby have a shoulder to cry on, I'm here. If you need a shoulder to cry on because your baby needs a shoulder to cry on, I'm here. Um, So we as a church body, we want to look out for each other. And this is a way of a commitment of a church body that's saying, we'll look out for our kids, we'll look out for people, um, and watch out for them and make sure uh, that we're doing all we can to serve them. So I'm going to ask um, the the Bratlin family and also ask the Dye family, if you guys can kind of come just stand down in this area. And I'm going to have my wife come up with me, and I'm going to have our uh, associate pastor who's over our Free Generation Ministries, Ladina Doherty, come up. She's going to hold Elijah here. And grandparents, you can come up too. So Greg, Sally, come on up. Um, yeah, any, any family with you, with the dyes, you can come up. Bill, at least you come up and, and pray here. And Jason, Monica, I'll hold no if I may. Oh, I can just pick you up. And like, here, <laughs> no, 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 he's fine. He's fine. I don't want to disrupt anything there. So look, I haven't seen him yet. So beautiful. Okay. Um, so many of us as a church, we got the opportunity for each of these families' lives to be involved in their, their weddings, their marriages, their parents, their siblings. And so um, this is a precious opportunity to bless these kids. And um, I just want to ask um, Madison and Brody for you guys just to both com- commit your life to raising your kids to love Jesus. Uh, I know that you will. Um, keep him first. Keep, keep Jesus first in the lives of, of all these beautiful kids, even you, Remy. Uh, and then um, for you, Jason, Monica, make sure Noah knows about Jesus. Noah's name basically means God saves, and, and that's what God is doing through in, and in your family. So um, I will um, go over. I'm going to pray over um, 
baby Elijah here, and um, Susan, if you want to join me, lay hands on him, pray for him, and I'll lay my hands on his parents as we pray. Church, could you extend your hand this way as we, as we pray a blessing over, over this baby and over this family? So, God, thank you for uh, the Bratland family. God, thank you for the legacy of faith that uh, their family leads before them. God, I pray for uh, Brody and for Madison. God, equip them, enable them, provide for them, God, to be able to be all that they need to be, God, for each of their children. Specifically, God, today for Elijah. God, that you would bless him, that you would provide for him, that you would equip him. God, I pray that you would give him a loud voice in this generation. God, I pray that you would give him a voice that would be able to speak truth. I pray you'd give him a voice that is bold, that would not be afraid to share the hope that can only be found in you. God, as um, Elisha received um, a double portion of what the prophet Elijah had, God, I pray that Elijah too would be a prophet in his generation, God and that he would carry your spirit within him to be able to make an impact in his community and be a blessing for each of his siblings, God. God, um, help his siblings to love him as he pesters them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. And then if you guys want to extend your hand uh, towards Jace and Monica and Noah. Um, God, I thank you for this family. God, thank you for our friends, for Jace and for Monica. Thank you for blessing them, God, with this beautiful gift. Your word tells us that Children are a blessing from the Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you for Noah. Thank you for the joy that comes with parenting. Thank you for the responsibility, God. Lord, I pray that you would give Jace and Monica just a, a passion and a vision and a desire, Lord, um, to raise this boy up, um, not in what they think he should do, but in what you have for him, God. I pray that at a young age, he would come to know you. I ask that in a young age, he would come to see your plans over his life and that he would follow and be obedient and trust in you, God, to provide for him in all things. Um, God, I pray that he would be able to um, be an influence everywhere he walks, uh, into his schools, into his workplace. God, would you protect his heart, protect his mind, God, from the enemy that would try to distract him from what you have for his life and instead keep a firm focus on you regardless of what's going on around him. Um, God, you use Noah um, to build an ark to save the world. And God, this boy is, is named after that Noah. He's the first one. Um, so, God, I pray that just like uh, the Noah we read about in your word, God, that Noah would not be distracted, again, not be distracted by the world, not be distracted by what people would say about you or about him or about anything else, but he would be uh, resolute, God, in his mission that you give him, whether it's building an ark or um, teaching school or just loving on people, whatever it is, God. Um, you help him stay focused on what you've called him to do, and may he not be distracted. God, bless his parents. Bless them, bless them, bless them. Give them abundance of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thank you, guys. All right. We're going to do baby dedication again in uh, three months, and so if you are with child, we have one coming up in three months, and if you're if you're with child and will not be due by then, we have one coming up in another three months. And if you're with child, like as of the last couple days, in nine months, we'll have one again. And so let us know. You can sign up on our app to be, um, to be dedicated. If you're a baby that wants dedicated, let us know. All right. I want to continue. Thank you so much, Brandon. He told me he's going to play until he's released. Brandon, you're released. Thank you. I appreciate Brandon. Brandon is a blessing. He's a friend. Um, I, I love and I'm proud of him. Thank you so much. Um, we're in a series right now on the book of Daniel. 
And just give you kind of a quick recap, um, there's two themes that appear in the book of Daniel. The first theme is just simply that God sovereignly orchestrates human history toward his plans and purposes despite the actions and even despite the sins of man. God is in charge. God is in control. We also discussed how we, um, like exiles, we as Christians are to live for God in an ungodly world just as Daniel and company lived for their God, the same God we serve, Yahweh, the God of all creation, the God of the Bible. They were to live for him in this foreign land of Babylon. And so a quick recap on the story, not just the themes, is that we have been discussing how Daniel and his friends, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, along with hundreds of others, were exiled from Judah in a first wave of attacks and exile at the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar um, to the land of Babylon, specifically to the city of Babylon, and that happened in the year 605 B.C., Uh, Over the course of 19 years, Nebuchadnezzar would raid the city a total of three times, each time taking goods and utensils from the temple of God to take back to Babylon, deporting more and more people, specifically the best and the brightest, the best-looking, the most able-bodied within that first wave Nebuchadnezzar took to train them for three years in all the ways and the wisdom of Babylonian culture, specifically In the realms, though these are pagan things, they were trained in astrology, they were trained in what they would call magic or sorcery, visions, wisdom, and dreams. And so they were to be educated, brainwashed actually, as Tim Warnock said several weeks ago, into the Babylonian culture. But as they went in, Daniel was able to stand out instead of fitting in. Uh, He did this at first by rejecting the food from the king's table, him along with Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, who we know is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He denied a food that would defile them. Um, We talked about how the food itself was not a defiling matter, but by rejecting that food and eating only vegetables, that they would set themselves apart from the rest. And specifically, it would show that they relied on God and they did not rely on the gods of Babylon and they did not rely on the king of Babylon for their provision either. And so, long story short, they lived in Babylon, but they were not of Babylon. They made the most of their time in Babylon, but they did not make Babylon the most important thing They chose to stand out instead of fitting in. And so today we're going to look at Daniel chapter 2. And oftentimes I I like to look at these accounts in Scripture and offer them as a storytelling opportunity to try to summarize the story and make it come home and come alive a a little more than just the text of Scripture that's recording the history. But Daniel chapter 2, you really can't do that too. Uh, I could try to summarize this story, um, but there's no better way to go through Daniel chapter 2, because it's not real long, than to just read through it and verse by verse do expository preaching and say, what's going on here? And we'll discuss it as we go, and I'll, I'll kind of land us on a runway at the end and show you what it's all about. So how many of you have ever had dreams before? Not dreams like goals for your life, but, but strange dreams while you're sleeping. Um, dreams can be very weird. Um, sometimes we wonder, is this dream from the Lord? Sometimes we wonder, is this dream from the enemy? Sometimes we ask, is this dream from 
Taco Bell. We don't know sometimes where these dreams come from. But just looking at scientifically what a dream is, it's just essentially your brain processing the information of your life and kind of filing it away to where it needs to go. And we kind of experience that filing and we dream about some very strange things. I know that I always go to places that I know in my dreams, but it's never really that place. You ever had that before? It's like it's school, it's work, it's home, but it's ne never really the place. I dream about people I know, but it's never really them. They're kind of like represented in different ways and symbols, and you have to try to figure out what's going on. We need to be careful not to assign every dream meaning. Not every dream means something. In fact, most dreams probably don't mean something, and thank God they don't. Sometimes we have recurring dreams. I, I've had two reoccurring dreams throughout my life. One, one is personal. It's not like inappropriate that I wouldn't share. It just, it's too personal to share. Uh, but another dream that I had as a child, I remember more than twice, I was thinking about this um, over this last week. I was walking in like this, this kind of like purple plane of existence, and there were essentially like what I would call like cells and stomachs and bladders and, and, and livers and like organs that I was walking around. And yesterday I took my family to see um, Ant-Man 3 and I was like, that was basically that movie. I'm pretty sure that's what we just watched. I prophetically saw that movie before it came about. And so um, we have really weird dreams. But again, we got to be cautious that we don't assign every dream this, this divine meeting that just isn't there. I, I know three dreams specifically where I know the dream was from God, but other dreams I wake up and I'm just not so sure. Uh, there was a person one time that was kind of associated with our church, and, and I, I was observing them kind of talk to people in our church in a way that I was a little uncomfortable with. I'm like, what this, what's this person doing? And they were actually going about, like, trying to interpret dreams to different people in our church. And I was like, I don't know about this. He seemed a little bit strange. And um, I had people coming to me, and, like, they told me the most magnificent thing about my dreams. I'm like, hey, be cautious. And ends up it was, it was weird. So be careful. Be careful not to assign too much to your dreams, but sometimes they do mean something. Today I'm using paper notes. My iPad would not work. So I'm like, nothing happens when I do this. Page two. Um, <laughs> let's read Daniel chapter 2. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream. And my spirit is troubled to know the dream. This happens right away when Daniel and company get to Babylon. Uh, it could have happened literally within the year. It says the second year of Nebuchadnezzar. The way that the Babylonians reckoned the time of the king's reign and the way that Daniel records the history of the book of Daniel, we don't know for sure. This could have happened immediately. It could have happened during the three years of training. I personally think it happened right at the end of the three years of training that they had because after they ate their vegetable-only diet, it said that Daniel had more wisdom and understanding than all of the other um, magicians and enchanters and dream interpreters. Now, it says that the king called for these people, but specifically it says he called for the Chaldeans a Chaldean was an ethnic group of people that much of Babylon was comprised of. And so they were so in tune with these spiritual, oftentimes pagan things, that 
just the term Chaldean came to be synonymous with things like divination and um, sorcery and magic and all these things, whether it was real or evil or fake, we don't know, but there's, there's some real stuff going on. It says, then the Chaldeans said to the king, and here's this really weird phrase, the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, the Bible's written in three languages. Um, Hebrew is the language of Israel. Most of the Old Testament is in Hebrew. The New Testament is written in Greek. All of the New Testament is in Greek. With, I think there's like two references to Aramaic. But there's a little bit of Aramaic in the Old Testament. This is the longest portion. In fact, Daniel chapter 2, verse 4, through Daniel chapter 7, is all in Aramaic, in a completely different language. So I'm going to be reading this to you today in Aramaic, and I pray that you can understand um, we want to stay true to the text. Uh, not really, but why in the heck is this in Aramaic? Reason why is because it's believed that these several chapters of the book of Daniel are recorded for the annals or the library of the court of the king within Babylon and so that they could reference these in this language. And so from verse 4 on until chapter 7, it's all in this language, Aramaic. And this is what the Chaldeans said to the king. They said, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. And so the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. That escalated really quick. You need to interpret my dream. But if you don't tell me what my dream is without, you, without me telling you what the dream is, uh, I will rip your limbs off. This is terrifying to be a Chaldean. So he said, if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Who cares? I just don't want my limbs torn off. Like, not, not really good motivation. So he says, therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. And so the king's enchanters and dream interpreters, they answered a second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because you see the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you, death. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. You're trying to buy some time. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. That is a very true statement. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except for the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Nebuchadnezzar's reasoning is actually good, but his threat is bad. He's saying, how can I trust someone's interpretation unless they themselves miraculously are given the dream and then they interpret it? Then I can trust it. But the Chaldeans, they say, this is not possible. Only the gods can do this, not mankind. So, verse 12. 
Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. If you caught that, the enchanters, the astrologers, um, the magicians, the people of wisdom, they're called wise men. And in fact, we have a story in the New Testament of magi, wise men, coming from the east, from here, to visit Jesus as a young boy, likely trained in these same schools that Daniel himself was trained in, possibly Jews themselves, because most of the Jews never actually left Babylon. Interesting point. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed. So they sought Daniel and his companions, because remember, he was the best of the wise men. They sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. And so Daniel, rep Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Daniel has nothing to lose. It's either his limbs get torn off or he interprets the dream. He's going to take a shot at interpreting the dream. Daniel steps out in faith. Daniel stands out with huge, bold, audacious faith. And he says, pick a time and I'll be there to interpret the dream. Verse 17 says, Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his friends. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mercy so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Impending doom is really good for your prayer life. Being faced with your limbs being torn off will cause someone to pray, but so will a health crisis, so will a marriage crisis, so will a family crisis. Crisis causes you to really push in and to pray. Verse 19, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Daniel blessed the God of heaven and Daniel answered and he says this, now, Notice that God did not give Daniel a dream of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. It says God gave Daniel a vision of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. You say, Pastor, what's the difference? I don't know, but it's interesting. Dreams seem to happen only when you're asleep. Visions seem to happen when you're awake. And so God answers the dream with a vision. And he says this, and we read this passage back in week one because this is the theme about God orchestrating human history Daniel prays out to God, thanking him for the dream, and it's understood that he's praying so that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego can agree and say amen. And so he says this, blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what was asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. So he's got the dream. He's going to go and tell the dream now to Nebuchadnezzar. And in verse 24, it says, Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, 
whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon, he went and said this to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king's interpretation. So Ariok brought Daniel before the king, and in haste he said this to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar. Remember that last week? Nebuchadnezzar changed their names. The name Belshazzar meant, O lady, save the king. And the lady that we were saying, O lady, to is the wife of the pagan god Bel. Nebuchadnezzar tried to steal Daniel's identity from being associated with God. And instead, Daniel says, no, I will keep my identity with God because I rely on God, not on false gods like Bel. And it says here in verse 26 that the king asked Daniel, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Here's Daniel's answer. Daniel answered the king and said, no, I can't do it. Are you going to tell me the interpretation? Can you do it? No, I actually can't. No wise man, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery. And the king has asked, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in, emphasize this phrase, latter days. Nebuchadnezzar's dream was not about just his reign in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar's dream expands to a time beyond our own today. This dream he had around 2,600 years ago, we have not even seen the fulfillment of this dream yet. He says, your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all of the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king. And this is interesting. God wants Nebuchadnezzar here, and Daniel says it, that you may know the thoughts of your mind. David would cry out to God you know, 500 years earlier, Search me, O God, know my heart, see if there be any wicked way in me, lead me in the everlasting way. And here, God even wants to reveal the heart of Nebuchadnezzar to Nebuchadnezzar. He wants him to really know and see and process these thoughts, which in fact are this prophetic dream. But I struggle with this verse in this story. And I want you to wrestle with the Bible. I want you to engage and ask questions. And here's where I struggle with this story. Where I struggle with this story is, God, why on earth did you tell Nebuchadnezzar what was going to happen if he had no power to stop it? Why would you let Daniel in on this if there was nothing Daniel could do about it? Because as you'll see, this dream was not a warning to prevent it from happening. It was just a message saying, it's going to happen. How many of you would like someone to come up to you and say, hey, um, you know, Brody, real bad news. You know, God showed me this real horrible thing about you. But don't worry, bro. I can't tell you what it is. Like, what? Thanks a lot. That's basically what's happening here. I don't mean that, Brody. God's got good things in store for you. Blessings. About six or seven years ago, uh, there was a family that was visiting our church for a couple of weeks. 
And the man asked, um, as the last time that they were there, uh, before going back to where they had come from, if he could have a, a meeting with me in my office. As he's even like, I, I have to talk to you in private without my wife. And I'm like, oh, this doesn't usually go well, but yeah, let's, let's go for it. And he said, hey, Anthony, I just want you to know I had a dream about you. And I keep having this dream about you. And, and I, can't, I can't shake it. And I'm like, oh, this is, this is really good, you know, like, these are always good things. And he, he goes on to tell me this dream, and I won't share it with you. It's, again, super personal. But it was not a good dream. And he began to share with me things that would happen to me in my life. And he was like, bless you, pastor. It's been nice being here at the church. Like, amen. And so I didn't criticize the dream. I wasn't critical of it. I went and I told my wife. I think I told a few friends. And I'm like, this is what this man said. We're supposed to judge the spirits. We're supposed to weigh to see what's going on. We're supposed to have a discernment. But I'm going to pray, God, if this is real, show me. God, is there anything I need to do about this? A year and a half later, that dream played out exactly as he said it would. And I was ticked. Because there was nothing I could have done about it. I had no idea what it meant at the time. It's like, and I was mad. Literally cried out to God. Why would you tell me in a way so vaguely that I actually couldn't do anything about? And God didn't answer. But here's what I've learned in the meantime. I think it was God's way of telling me, I know what you're about to go through, and I'll be there with you. I know where you're going, but I've got you. Because I orchestrate history. And I know the times and the seasons. And was it gracious that God told me? I don't know. It didn't seem like it. But, but it, it did show me he knew. And sometimes just knowing God knows is pretty special. So Daniel exemplifies living for God in an ungodly world. He does it by truly choosing here to stand out Daniel was in the world, but he was not in this world by choice. Daniel was trained in the knowledge and wisdom in the world's ways, but he was not of the world. And he used its training while depending on God as the source of this knowledge to do something radical in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel took this opportunity to give all credit and all glory to God, though he could have claimed it for himself, and even saying that the interpretation came from God could have and probably should have cost him his life. You and I who are not of this world, you and I who are followers of Jesus, we have been given spiritual gifts from God to accomplish his work in this world, though we are not of this world, but we must step up and use these gifts. We must lean into the Holy Spirit. We must see what he would have us do in dire situations. And so please stand out. Don't fit into this world. Point people to God. And as you point people to God, give him the credit, not yourself. As you point people to God, Give God the credit for the fact that you're even pointing him to it. Set yourself apart from the world. And do it by offering solutions to problems that the world does not have. Because they could only come from God. What's the dream? The dream's pretty weird. Um, And if you could put up, there's a slide. 
you don't have to have the scripture up. I'll just read it. But I put up the first slide um, with just the image that appears in the dream, and I'll tell you when to start going through the different images about the dream. It should be an image of a statue. So chapter 2, verse 31, Daniel says, um, Nebuchadnezzar, you saw a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and the appearance was frightening. This is an artist. You can go back just to the first slide of that, of that statue. Um, this picture is just an artist's rendition of what this image could have been. It's clearly a statue you'll see here in a minute. This is what a, a Babylonian statue may have looked like at that time. And so Daniel says about this, he says, the head of the image was gold. Its chest and its arms were made of silver. Uh, its middle section and thighs were made of bronze. Its legs were made of iron, and its feet were partly of iron and partly of clay. And as you looked, O king, this gets, if it's not strange, it gets stranger. He says, as you look, uh, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and that stone struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried away these pieces so that no trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain, and it filled the whole earth. That's a strange dream. Of course, Nebuchadnezzar has no clue what it means. Daniel has no business of having any clue what it means, but God does because God gave it to him. And so God begins to use Daniel to interpret the dream. And in verse 36, you can go to the next slide. It says, this was the dream. Now I'll tell you its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beast of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. This is a weird thing to say about Nebuchadnezzar. He equates Nebuchadnezzar as if he's like some kind of godlike figure. But what it actually is reminiscent of is Genesis 1, 2, 3, and 4. This looks like Adam. Adam, the first man, was created in the image of God to image God to the world around him, to fill the earth and to subdue it, and to subjugate all of the beasts of the air, and to procreate and have children, and to make all of earth like Eden, if you will. And so this is like a prototype of Adam. And God's kind of saying like, hey, I've given you the power during this season to rule over the earth and this kingdom, and you, you're kind of messing it up. But you're, you're the head of gold. This, this will go to Nebuchadnezzar's head, by the way, that literally, figuratively, all of it. Um, verse 39, another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you. That's the silver chest and arms. We're not going to get into Daniel 7 and beyond in this series, but please go home and read Daniel chapter 7 and 8 because Daniel is given a vision that goes right back to this dream decades later, but this time it involves strange animals. And what's happening is God is laying out human history in front of our eyes as we read the book of Daniel, 
And this silver chest and arms, it's Persia. There's an inferior kingdom that will overtake you, Nebuchadnezzar, and that would happen about 30 years later. And yet a third kingdom of bronze will come up, the, the middle and thighs, and rule over the earth, and that would be Greece, led at the command of Alexander the Great. Verse 40, And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all of these. So the legs of iron is Rome. And that's greatly expanded upon in Daniel 7 and 8. And what God is saying to Nebuchadnezzar, to Daniel, is that the kingdom that's coming that will be Rome, it's like no other kingdom that's ever existed. This kingdom will be the strongest kingdom to exist up to this point. And then you get to verse 41, and you're like, well, I'm not really sure what verse 41 is talking about because it's talking about the feet. It says, as you saw the feet and the toes, partly made of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom but some of the firmness of iron shall be in this divided kingdom of feet and toes, just as you saw iron mixed with soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay." We don't know exactly what this is talking about. We have some ideas. Two feet equal ten toes. The Roman Empire would be divvied up essentially into ten provinces or ten leaders, which would be around what we would call modern-day Western Europe. It's possible that this is speaking of the divided Roman Empire that will come after the Roman Empire that will be crushed with this rock. It's also possible that this is just talking about Western Europe as a whole. It's possible, I think what it's talking about is just the idea of the modern Western world. Um, some people would say, no, this is the Holy Roman Empire. This is the Catholic Church. I do not believe that is the case. Um, that's, it just, that's not clear here. We don't really know. But what we do know is that the kingdom of Rome would get divvied up there would be very strong points there within Rome, and there would be weak points. And I want to point something out. You could misinterpret Scripture here, and you could look at this and say, oh, we shouldn't marry people of different nations or cultures or races or skin colors or languages. And that is not at all what this passage is saying. It's saying when the kingdom is divided, people from different nations will start to intermix. And when you do get a lot of people mixed together in one place, it just causes some, some issues, right? There just can be issues when people from all different nations living in one place because everybody is going to want to have their nation be kind of the top dog. It's not a prohibition against marriage of any sort. It's verse 44. It says, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. So in the days of what? The, the days of the kings, of the feet, of iron and clay and the toes. In that time, God's going to set up a kingdom. This kingdom is going to start to grow, not all at once. It's coming out like a, a stone, not cut by a human hand. It's going to grow into a mountain. It says, this kingdom shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all of these kingdoms and bring them to an end. 
and that kingdom will stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, and the silver, and the gold. He says, a great God is made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain. It's interpretation sure. We have not experienced this completely yet. This is what you and I are living maybe in, but we're definitely living for. We are living for a day where God's kingdom overcomes and overtakes this earth through the spreading of the gospel just as it did Rome. By the way, that is start of the problems of Rome. The ones who crucified Jesus ended up converting many of them, if not most of them, to Jesus. It kind of messes up the whole Roman Empire. It starts to weaken, and the gospel keeps growing and growing and growing through Europe, through Asia, into Africa, into North, into South America. The gospel spreads, and it grows like a mountain, and I want to see this mountain keep growing and overtake the entire world. He's just so bold. He just steps like, hey, this, this, is, this is what's going to happen. He didn't even know the implications of, of Jesus coming one day. But he would later have visions of Jesus. And he would call Jesus one like a son of man. Next week, I think Jesus makes a guest appearance that we'll look at in the next story. So here he is. This is my little poetic kind of wrap this message up. If you really like scripture and, and ways of looking at things differently, listen carefully. If you're like, I get lost in that, it's okay. But hear me out. This just came to me instantaneously. Am I reading this passage? This is what I, I wrote. And I want to make sure I, I read it exactly as it was written. It would take the rise and fall of these kingdoms to bring about God's everlasting kingdom. That was and is the plan of God. His plan is that all the kingdoms of this world would be struck by this cornerstone, would be struck by a stone the builders rejected, would be struck by the rock that Jesus said the church would be built on. And within the kingdoms of this earth, that rock would be planted, and it would grow like a seed. And it would overtake each kingdom as it became a great mountain that would and will fill the whole earth. You see, God sovereignly orchestrates and uses human history. He does it to bring about his purpose, his will, his plans for the world. The placing and the removing of kings the rise and the fall of kingdoms, the judgment and the blessings of empires, the crucifixion of the Son of God by the Jews at the hands of the Romans on an Assyrian cross recorded in Greek in our New Testament. All of these nations pushing us towards the life, death, resurrection, reigning, and second coming of Jesus. And the crucifixion and the raising of the dead of the Son of God would break apart the kingdoms of this world as the news of his defeat of death would travel from mountain to mountain, from Judah to Rome, and to every corner of the earth. This stone fell to earth 2,000 years ago. 
seeding the growth of the mountain of the kingdom of God. And that mountain that you and I are being built into, we are ready to receive its king. The son of man, as Daniel would call him, upon his second coming. And if you want to kind of nerd out a little more, in Revelation chapter 8, the fullness of the coming and the return of Jesus Christ will be preceded by a similar event. An actual mountain will fall from the sky and land in the seas, and a star will fall from the sky and land and ruin much of the earth's waters preceding the coming of our king. Just as Daniel talked about 2,600 years ago, and just as John wrote about 2,000 years ago in Revelation, the whole Bible is the story of the love of a king, the life of a king, the death of a king, the resurrection of a king, the reigning of this king in his kingdom and his return to make all things new. That's our history. That's what he's orchestrating. So the last portion of this story, Daniel gets a raise. Verse 46. King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. Imagine being Daniel for a second. You've just interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and someone's like, smell the incense in your face. Thank you for the offering of incense as I interpret this dream. I don't care for incense. Um, I'm sorry. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings. Your God is a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal the mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men. So God has worked so weird. Daniel, a follower of the God of the Bible who is in Babylon but not of it, he's made chief of these astrologers and magicians and wise men under God's providence of working out his plans. So Daniel asks for a request. Don't forget my boys, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael. I want them to get a job too. Don't forget, don't forget your friends when you make it big. And so Nebuchadnezzar appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court, and there he would be, in the king's court, serving the king, and then serving a king later of a completely different empire. So the saga of Daniel here concludes with a promotion. Daniel exemplifies living for God in an ungodly world, using his gifts, standing out, giving God glory, making the best of every situation, and planting himself into positions of influence where God would use him to influence this kingdom. And just like that letter we talked about last week, Jeremiah wrote a letter, Jeremiah 29. And Jeremiah, back in Judah, told the exiles in Jerusalem, while you're there, build houses, plant gardens, get married, have kids. And he says, seek the prosperity of the city that you find yourself in, for when the city prospers, you will prosper. And here, though Daniel didn't even get that prophecy yet, because it didn't yet happen, he's doing exactly that. Daniel seeks the blessings of the city by now being the leader of the city. God works in weird ways, and I want you to ask yourself, where has God placed you? 
Where has God put you? And I want to encourage you to be bold, to stand out, to make the best of the situations you find yourself in. Use your giftings. Give glory to God. Watch and pay attention to where God puts you. You might be in a minimum wage job. You might be living at home right now with your parents as an adult. You might be in a situation where you're waiting to find that special one that you want to marry someday. You might be in a place of school. You might be heading into retirement. You might be in the middle of retirement. You might be at the end of your life. Wherever you find yourself, even if we just dedicated you as a baby, watch where you are. Look and see where God places you. Paul says in the book of Acts that God places us in times and seasons and borders so that we might know him the most. Take advantage of where God puts you. And you might say, but pastor, I'm leaving this job. I'm leaving this school. I'm leaving this city. I'm leaving this church. I'm leaving my community. Well, you haven't left yet. And until you do leave or God plucks you and takes you somewhere else, you do something where you are at now. Pay attention. Look for places to insert yourself in humility where you can't be the big shot, but instead you can be of service. Daniel served Nebuchadnezzar with humility and respect, though he was an evil man. Look for places that you can serve. Where has God placed you? What does God have for you here, wherever here is? God's orchestrating history. And about a hundred years after this account, much of Judah and the exiles of Judah would return to their homeland and return to Jerusalem. They would build the temple. They would reconstruct the walls. They would preach the word of God. But many, if not most people, stayed in Babylon until the year 1948. And about 100 years later, even after so many returned, there was a young girl at the same palace who was subjugated under the emperor of a completely different kingdom, Persia. And the king's name was Xerxes. And this young girl, her uncle told her, hey, I don't know what's going on, but, but, but is it possible that maybe you've put You've been put here. God, maybe God's put you here for such a time as this. That happened with Esther, the queen. That happened with Daniel, the dream interpreter. It would happen with Ezra, with Nehemiah, with Zerubbabel. It would happen and happen and happen as God orchestrates and put people at the right times and the right places. Hundreds of years later, he would place John the Baptist in the wilderness to proclaim the coming of the kingdom of God. Where has God placed you? Because you have been put there for such a time as this. How does God want to use you in it? How can you be a part of what he's doing and not apart from what he's doing. You have to choose. You either are a part of what he's doing or you're apart from it. I want to be with God as he's driving human history in the fast lane. You could uh, prepare your hearts to go into a time of prayer and uh, we're going to close out with a song here in a second, but if you could put your phones away and do whatever it takes to limit your distraction.
Please listen carefully. Um, God just gave me an image of someone whose life is like that statue. And you've coated your life with heavy minerals like gold and silver and bronze and iron to protect yourself because you've been hurt. And just like the stone of the kingdom of God came crashing down on that statue in the dream to bring about God's everlasting kingdom and to bring about his mountains, God wants to break you free of the shell you've built around your life. And he wants to come in and change things. He wants to come in. It might look like it starts with something small, but he wants to come in and and build a mountain of his kingdom out of you. And you may be walking around in depression and fear. And the the word that God kept giving to me this morning, and now I see it much more clearly, is this word self-deprecation. Some of you speak so badly about yourselves. Some Some of you look in a mirror and you see something so ugly that's not ugly at all. It's beautiful. And the enemy wants you to believe the lie that you're nothing, that you're no one, that you failed, that you're never going to go anywhere, that your marriage will never get better, things are never going to work out for you. Those are lies from the devil. And God wants to break away at every one of those lies. God wants to, God wants to take your armor off. Because inside the armor, there is a heart that longs for relationship, not just with God, but relationship with people. And you've closed yourself off for so long, and it's time to take a risk. It's time to love. It's time to choose. It's time to risk failure, to risk fallout in relationship. It's it's better to risk it than to never experience it at all. People will let you down. Your wife, your husband, your kids, they'll all let you down. People will let you down. God will not. And God wants you to remove the armor and to let him break it away this morning. Some of you, just, you just need to realize you've been put somewhere for a purpose. You've been put somewhere for a reason. And it, it doesn't always look like preaching or screaming or yelling or holding a sign. It just might look like holding a door at the store. It just might look like stopping and praying for someone. Where has God placed you? You've got gifts. Use them. Use those gifts even if people don't know what the gifts are or if people don't believe in the gifts. A couple of weeks ago, I was interacting with uh, just a fellow brother in Christ who does not believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today. And though I disagree with him, that's not something to break fellowship with over him. I believe he loves Christ. He's been saved by Jesus. He just doesn't believe the gifts of the Spirit are for today. But then he heard me give this prophecy that he came and asked me, how did you know that? And I could have said, that's because I believe in the gifts of prophecy and tongues and healings and the charismatic gifts of the Holy Ghost. And I came here today to tell you you're wrong and I want to hit you with my Bible and I want you to believe like I believe in Jesus' name. Don't be that jerk. Don't be, there's guys like that. Don't be that guy. So I was put in this place where, where I was forced, literally, to, to use this gift at the time of prophecy. And when he wanted to know how it happened, how did I know? I just said, well, I opened my mouth, 
and I just spoke what God put on my heart, and then I put this, like, really emphasis caveat. I said, according to the Word of God, <laughs> and he was like, oh, okay, you can't argue with the Word of God. He's like, it wasn't King James. Is that still cool? He's like, okay, no, so, but, but it was just, it was an opportunity. It was an opportunity to reach a brother that needed God to confirm his supernatural power to him. I was placed in this place not to be a jerk, but just to come alongside and say, this is what it is, but to do it in a loving, gentle way. How, how will you place yourself where God's placed you? How will you speak up where God puts you to speak? How will you be salt and light and grace and love and hope wherever you go? Because God wants to use you. That's why he made you. God doesn't need you. He wants you. You can take part in what he's doing. Don't be apart from it. So I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to sing. And as we go into this time of, of worship and song, again, I gave that invitation as we opened up today. God told me specifically, Anthony, invite people to be delivered from addiction. And again, if you're thinking, I don't think this is addiction, if the thought is even in your mind, the invitation is for you. Would you just, as we start to sing, would you just come up and just let us lay hands on you and pray for you for freedom? Might be a process. It might be instantaneous. I don't know, but God said to do it. Don't miss out on the invitation. God chose you to be here today to tell you that he is here to answer your prayer for deliverance from your addiction. And I want to shout loudly that that very much means pornography. God said, pray for people who are addicted to pornography today. Get prayer. Marriages. If, you're, if you feel like nothing can move forward and my marriage is dead, it's stuck, God wants to hear your cry, hear your prayer. We want to pray for people whose marriages are falling apart today. And here I'm going to make it safe for everyone. Anything you need prayer for, come on up. Everyone will assume you need a new job, a new car, a new house, and you are fine. But here's the deal. None of us are fine. None of us are okay. Only through Christ do we find what we need. And so as we sing and as we worship, don't miss out on an opportunity to say yes to an invitation from God. So if you just want to come and pray at the altar as we sing, if you want to come up to the front and worship, if you want to sit down where you're at, kneel at your seat, or come up and receive prayer— don't waste this opportunity to connect with God as a body this morning and receive exactly what he has for us.